Hello and welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast. My name is Charles Lego and I'm your host. On today's episode, we're very happy to speak to Jeffrey Lambert from Lambert Wealth Advisory here in the Sacramento region. Well, and we've got so much going against us. You know, Madison Avenue, as we used to call it, basically the, the marketing, uh, you know, agenda. We're constantly being sold and, and there's all this... Um, there's just all this social uh, expectation that you gotta that you gotta look good. I mean, one of the one of the factors of the millionaire millionaire next door, and maybe the major factor is that people become financially independent because they don't care about what other people think. Jeffrey Lambert helps individuals and families to use their financial resources to achieve their unique goals and to live more meaningful and fulfilling lives. So Jeffrey, welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast. Thank you, Charles. Great to be here. So how do you help me lead a more meaningful and fulfilling life? Well, first, it's it's about your goals, your your Financial goals or general goals? Well, it's life goals. I mean, yeah. money's a tool, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my job is to help you with your money. But um, what's the money going to be used for? Um, it's, uh, you know, I work by getting to know clients. Okay. And finding out what's important to them so that we can arrange their financial affairs to get what's most important to them. So I meet you in, a, in an elevator, and I ask you what you do, and you tell me, well, I have Lambert Wealth Advisory, and I say, give me the elevator pitch. You know, what is the it, elevator it's pitch? It's hard, because I don't really have an elevator pitch. No? You well, know? I mean, the elevator kit pitch really is, I care. Yeah, okay. So what does a financial advisor do? Well, as a certified financial planner, we have a, a body of knowledge that is very well developed and codified. It, it, uh, it, it came out of the 1960s, and the uh, Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards um, surveys uh, financial advisors and say, what do we do? And, and then every year it changes a little right. bit. So but it's like a, a body who governs financial advisors. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually a 501c3. Okay. You know, it's a charitable nonprofit for okay. the benefit of the, of, of the public. Right. And it, and it regulates, it self-regulates, well, it regulates those who subject themselves to it. And, and there's a, there's a whole, whole process to become a certified financial planner, which involves an educational curriculum and an and experience. There's a rigorous exam. And and there's ethics, and then there's a there's an F word. Oh, fee. We have to we have to pay them a fee and a, right. and attest to a public disciplinary process. Okay, so we'll get into much more of what you do. But first, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? We like on this podcast we have a tradition that we really get to know our guests. So let's start off with um, where were you born, and tell us about your early life, your parents, etc. Oh, okay, cool. I I was born in San Bernardino. San Bernardino. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You 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 used an extra syllable than I did. You know, if you're if you're if you're if you're from San Bernardino and you're talking to somebody who lives there, it's just San Bernardino. Right. But but yeah, it's San Bernardino. Well, uh, San Bernardino, Cali I know well. California. I and know well it, because I lived in Palm Springs for many many yeah, years. Okay. So going to LA, you drive on right through San Bernardino. Highway 10. 
And yeah. Then, yeah, I live not very far okay, from so Highway you... 10, right near Norton Air Force Base. Okay. So my dad was civil service for the Air Force okay. for 35 years. Okay. And I, I grew up right on the approach end of the, of the, of the runway off, off base, really okay. within walking distance. And um, so yeah, did you go to did you go to school in San Bernardino? Well, yeah, element yeah. elementary school, yeah. uh, two different elementary schools, and um, and then we moved to um, yeah, I, I was there eleven years, and then we moved to Lincoln, where, okay. where Lincoln Air Force Base was. Right. And my dad was the last civilian off of. Lincoln Air Force Base. So tell so, us about your parents, wasn't they? So your dad was worked for the Air Force yeah. as a civilian. Yes. Yeah. And my mom was was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. You know, she put her she put her whole heart and soul into raising into, yeah. into caring for six children. Wow. So you yeah. have six siblings? Five? Yeah, five, five siblings. Five siblings. Yeah. And you went to high school in, in Lincoln. Sacramento. We moved to Sacramento. Oh, you did. At McClellan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was a, just the summer before I was a freshman in oh, high school. Oh, okay. So, so you've been in Sacramento a long time. Yeah. yeah. You, you want me to tell what year? <laughs> I mean, if you want to, but we don't need to. But you went to high school here? Miraloma. Miraloma High School? Which was a great experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Miraloma was a, was a good community. I was, I was in the band. I was a music nerd. Um, played saxophone and played in all the bands that was there. My favorite was the was the jazz ensemble, the big band, and I played um, sax saxophone in all the all the chairs. Okay. Played in a little dance band that played 40 style music for for uh, people our age at that point. Right, right. Uh, who who grew up in the 40s. Right. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> so um, high school was good. Were you a good student? Uh, I wouldn't say I was a great student. No. Here's my learning style. If the instructor were interesting, if the instructor made the subject interesting, anything that they said, I didn't need to write down. I had in my head. Right. I could, I could, uh, you know, get a hundred percent on the test. So it was if the teacher. The if, teacher was the important. Yeah, because the student was like, oh, okay, what else is going on in life? Um, right. You know. So I'm a, I'm a situational student. I am a very good student when I set the agenda and I'm studying what I find interesting. Okay. And then after high school, was that college? Yeah, I went to two, two years at a private school in, uh, in Idaho. Uh -huh. and, and, then, and, and then I ended up doing some volunteering for a couple of years. And um, in, in fact, I spent two years in uh, England. You know, you know that place. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where in England were you? Well, um, Near near London, yeah. um, you know, I, I served in um, Surrey and Berkshire and East Sussex. When you say served, what does that mean? Who did you serve? It was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day oh, Saints. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you're on a mission. I was a Mormon missionary. You were? Wow. Yeah. With a white shirt? And... Yeah. Yeah? I got stripes on my white shirt today. And your mission was England? Yes. Wow. Okay. I yeah. don't know if I remember. I don't think I remember seeing the Mormon missionaries until I came here. But maybe, I, I don't we, really remember them in England. We didn't knock on your door. No, <laughs> no. We bothered a lot of people. Yeah, and it okay. Was, and it was fun, because the door would open and they'd see who we are and it would it would begin to close. And, right. and they'd say C of E, which of course meant, 
I was I was uh, christened in the Church of England. You right. know, my I got married there and my funeral will be right, there. Right, right, right. But I'm not interested in what you have So to did say. you like London? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. You know, most of the time I was close enough to London in the half a day off that we got. We we could hop on the train and zip zip in uh, and and go to the museums. Right. And um, we saw a lot of plays. Yeah. Um, it, you know. Yeah. Wow. London, L London is just, yes. I, I mean, it's. They say it's the best city in the world now. I think it is. New York likes to say it is, right? I but think it's I think it. it's London. One of my goals was to hear the. L London Symphony, yeah, which I did in the did. Royal Albert Hall, and Andre Previn conducted wow. a Mozart uh, concerto, yeah, and yeah. Barry Tuckwell um, yeah. was the horn soloist. So you've been to the Royal Albert Hall? Yeah. Yeah, that's saw, a great I saw venue. all the holes. I didn't count them, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you came back from your mission, and now you're how old? 20? Yeah, 22. I went to American River College for a couple of semesters. I went to City College, and... And I studied online. I got my certificate from the College for Financial Planning. So when you were at college and doing your mission, was financial planning always your goal? No. No? No. Okay. I, I was a pre-med student for three semesters. And, and then I switched to business. And I found the curriculum so much easier. I mean, I, I loved science growing up. And, and um, I, I love the idea of, Knowing the human body. And, right. And, so uh, was your plan to be a doctor? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So what was the switch? It, it was that I, I found business easier. Uh-huh. You know, I found finance just a natural thing for me. Right. So as a young child, um, well, at age seven, I had a job outside the home. On Saturday mornings, I'd walk down to the church and... And, and do some janitorial work and, and, and get paid for the amount of work that I did. And, and I saved almost all that money. And by the time I was in fifth grade, I remember looking at my bank statement and seeing the hand-posted interest and the idea that my money could earn money was just mind-boggling yeah. to me. And that got you hooked. I think so. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, re I remember... Um, Going to our family vacations in, in, in Utah, there was no I-15. There was, uh -huh. you know, State Highway 15. And, right. and we'd go through all the little towns in, in, uh, along the way. And in Utah, they, they had their thrift and loans. We called them in California. They called them their nationwide. They're called industrial savings banks. And they were exempt from right Q, which meant that they could charge whatever interest they wanted. And I'd be in the back of the station wagon, and it's like, Ooh, I'd see their sign. But look, they're paying three and eight, three and three eights. My brothers and sisters, my parents would look at me. He's like, "What's wrong with this kid?" Wow. But compound interest—it's just like, yeah. Einstein said it was eight. So where did this world. come from? At such an early age, because I can understand a kid being into sports or being into the movies or being into music. But where, when you're, how old were you? Ten, eleven? Um, well, when I first started saving, it was uh, seven. Yeah. So and where where did that? Were your parents very fiscally sort of responsible? Made you aware? Or? My dad was born in. Uh, my parents were born in nineteen and twenty. Uh -huh. So they their formative years was the depression. Right. And so my mom, uh, being the homemaker, and my dad having a government job. But in the beginning, he was a mechanic, uh -huh. and then an electrician, and 
So there wasn't a lot of money to spread with between eight people, my parents and the six kids. So they were they were frugal, and frugality seemed to make sense. Right. And and I, you know, I'd earn a little bit of money and and spend it, and then I'd feel broke. But if I saved it, there was some comfort in that. Right. So just watching and seeing how money worked and being careful in the way that I spent just just seemed like the way of being. Yeah, okay. yeah listen, that's the way to be, right? So out of college, what did you do? What was your first job? My first job was a manufacturer's rep for in the fluid power industry, hydraulics and pneumatics. And it was it was really interesting because the 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 math of fluid power was, you know, physics and, you know, you compress a fluid and you know, the temperature goes up and and uh, and and at and at a half power and and there was some interest in that. And but mostly the interest was um, in the job was going into the plants where our our materials were being used, our equipment was being used. And I got I got to see basically how everything got made, and um, and that was interesting. Um, but the compelling thing was, okay, there's bonuses, there's a there's a profit sharing. What am I going to do with this extra money? And so I became a voracious reader of personal finance literature. I I when I was with that company, and in, in the intervening years. I think that I read or skimmed, mostly skimmed, all the personal finance, well, all the finance literature, the uh, books anyway, uh -huh. that w were at the main branch of the Sacramento Public Library. And, um, you know, mostly I got an exposure. What I found was almost all the books were self-promotional. <laughs> right. You know, it was all, you know, how I... How I made a million dollars by right, right. by doing whatever. Right. And and you wrote a book, but we'll get to your book in a minute. Yeah. Um, so okay, so you worked for this company, and did did you get into the the finance? Well, world what after I did, that? what I did. I mean, this was the late seventies. <clears throat> the stock market was flat, maybe troubled. Inflation was was building. What was the hot um, investment? thing at the time it was real estate and I'd seen my parents move a few times with the with the Air Force and and I'd paid attention and you know I remember asking you know what would you pay for this house and would you pay for that house and would you sell it for and so you know the, the first little money I got um, I uh, found a way to uh, to, to buy a, a fixer-upper and I fixed it, rented a year, sold it. And how old were you when you got your first house? Well, we bought our first house when I was still in school. I figured I couldn't afford rent. It was a school, college, or high school? Uh, 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 college. A college. Yeah. So, okay. So you so, bought your first house at college in college. Yeah, my wife and I bought our first house while we we're in college, um, before we got married. She moved into it, and then I moved into it. Uh, you know, a couple months later. Wow. And um, and. And it turned out that people would say, yeah, don't don't buy those McEwen condos. They don't go up in value. And it's like, hey, I'm not looking for going up in value. I'm just looking for affordable rent. Right. And it was it was cheaper. 
Right. It was cheaper to buy than rent. Yeah. And it, it just made intuitive sense to me that if the landlord were buying this condo and renting it out, they must be buying wholesale and, and, and selling retail. So since I couldn't afford to rent, I'd buy. Wow. And it fundamentally, it's, that's, that's called fundamental investing. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it worked. Right. And so, yeah, when we, sold, when we sold that condo two years later, so I was 23 and, and my wife was 22, when we, we, we sold it, I should have rented it, but didn't know about that at that point. Um, that, then we, we put less money down on, on our new house than we, than we had. And so that, that was the, the capital to, to invest in it's, and it. And at one time I had, uh, we, my wife and I had 12 single family rentals. You did? Yeah. They all had negative cash flows and, and most of them had balloon payments. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was a real challenge because the balloon payments started coming due when you couldn't get money. Right. You know, 80, 81, 82. Right. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a challenge. But um, I quit the, the job at, with the, uh, in Fluid Power to work full-time in the real estate business. And I, go so ahead. So uh, for yourself or for a company? For myself. Oh, okay, so you became. Yeah, yeah. so I wanted, to yeah. Buy, I, I wanted to buy houses and I wanted to be right. in, in the mix. Yeah, so I got in the real estate business so I, I could be in the flow of some of the best opportunities for single family houses. And, um, and I wanted to sell other properties to investors, you know, to, to me it was a panacea. So you save money on taxes, and and you and you and you build equity, um, and you know it's not a panacea. It it was a lot more work. Right. Man, managing a property, real estate, is an operating business. Right. More than it's an investment. Yeah. yeah. There's an investment. Uh, no, no. Listen, p- potential. If you own if you own several properties, I mean that's a full time job, right? Right. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't like managing the properties, and and my niche in real estate ended up being selling land to developers in eighty eighty one, uh, deals didn't pencil, uh, I went a year from without any income, so started b- bailing out of properties. While I was a real estate agent, I completed all the classes to become a broker, and um, and one of the continuing education courses I took was taught by a CPA all day program pretty much all day I think and it was how to sell more real estate um, using financial planning approach had no idea what they were talking about I went to it and it's like oh rather than just be involved in 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 real estate I could be involved in it they introduced us to the college for financial planning and the the certified financial planner and at this point, there's eight main subject areas in financial planning, but it's basically everything that's involved in personal finance. And that just seemed to make so much sense. It's like, wow, I can learn about taxes. I can you know, pr- help protect wealth with, with insurance and risk management planning, estate planning, uh, em- em- employee benefits, save for retirement. You know, this is, this is really what I wanted to do. Okay. So how long has Lambert Wealth Advisory been in business? Um, since July 1st of, of 2011. Yeah, so 10 plus years. Yeah. So prior to that, were you just a private advisor or 
What what were you doing prior to that? Well, there, there was <laughs> there was a long career development process. I went I went to work in January of '81 with a company that called themselves the nation's largest independent financial planning company, and I knew all the conflicts of interest going in, but but they bothered me a lot more than I thought they would. I made I I made more money than anybody in my 21 person of you know starting class. Uh-huh. Um, which which wasn't much, <laughs> yeah. but um, but I, I I realized I needed to do something else. I was very uncomfortable with conflicts of interest, and I was very uncomfortable. What what are the conflicts of interest? Selling for a commission. Okay. You know you you work for a broker dealer. Right. What what's a broker do? They get paid on commission. Right. So that's that's a conflict. What's a dealer do? A dealer sells out of their own inventory that's even more conflicts of interest an agent like an insurance agent that's that's an agent of of the issuer what does the client want client wants somebody they need somebody they deserve somebody that's on their side of the table you know today we we use the word fiduciary and you know it's a big word and it means a lot of things in different contexts Um, but it's but it's really very simple you know, if you can put yourself as an advisor in a place that, you, that, the, that your client knows that you're working for them and you're not being paid by, by anybody else. Right. So, yeah, those, those, were, those were the conflicts of, of interest. And how long did you stay there? Uh, less than a year. Oh. Yeah. So I'm scratching my head wondering what can I do, and it's like, okay, I've been a manufacturer's rep. I, I have real estate experience, and, um, and one of the hot products at the time were, were direct placements, real estate. And, and, and so I, I said, gee, there's got to be an opportunity for me here. And so I became a, a manufacturer's rep in the industry we call the wholesaler for these investment companies, calling on the the financial planners and getting them to recommend their, their, the, the product. And what's the conflict of interest? I'm here representing this company. I'm here to sell you that you can sell your clients. It's a B2B deal. And, and that was a breath of fresh air. It felt, it felt good. Oh, they gave me a salary. <laughs> and there was upside. And my objective, I'd already studied, I'd already started to study for the certified financial planner exam. And my, my goal was to, was to call on the existing financial planners who had experience, pick the brains of the best and the brightest, and then, uh, you know, go into that side of the business. Well, a couple of things happened. First, I made more money than I thought I was going to make. And in the end, that was, you know, that, that was not good for me, but uh, we didn't complain in the, in the short run. Um, mouths to feed at home, right? And we, um, and the other thing that that happened was in the early '80s, there was really no um, established profession. Everybody was selling something and managing these conflicts of interest, and and a lot of good people doing their best and really serve, serving people. But you know, I, I I longed for a higher calling, I guess, and. So I, I did that for, for quite a few years, didn't 
register as an investment advisor, sole proprietorship uh, re registered with the state of California and the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, at, in 92. So there's, there's, there's been a, a, a series at one point, um, I, I, I had a, a partner and we had an operation where we owned 50-50 and, and we had staff financial planners. And then he and I split and, um, and, and that's, that's when I went to in, independent practice. Okay. So now let's get into the independent, what you do. So I find myself with a little bit of extra money. I get a big bonus at work and it's sitting in the bank and I think, well, what shall I do with this? And I come and see you. Is that how it works? Yeah. So I come and see you and I say, hey, you know, I've got an extra 150,000 sitting around. What can I do with it? Yeah. And then to take it from there. What, what do you do from there? Yeah, well, it's it's a process, and the financial planning, the the certified financial planning board of standards, the CFP board, has has a has a defined steps in financial planning, and it, you know it starts by finding out what people want, and you know it's basically determining um, what the scope of the engagement is with with the professional, and 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 then. We gather data, uh, and um, and, a, and a phrase from my early financial planning education was that the non-quantitative data is as important as the quantitative data. You know, people have goals and and, and, and values. They have em, em, emotions. Maybe there's a spiritual aspect, and um, and and so so you you uh, you, you know a certified financial planner. Is, is bound to use that process with the scope of, a, of an engagement that's, that's like you expressed. There's some, there's some many engagements. You can, you can go to a financial planner and, and just hire them to give you a, a piece of advice over one, one thing. But, but what's most satisfying to me is getting to know people, right. finding out what their hopes and dreams are, and, and, and who, who they are inside, and and help them map out a plan, and and my and, and my job, you know, you do the analysis, you make the recommendations, um, and and I'm not so much into recommendations because I I, <coughs> I look at people and think nobody's smarter about what's good for them and what they want than they are, so I I say to my clients, you're your own financial planner. And, and, and I'm here to, to coach and, and to help. If I can frame the decision-making and, and, uh, and, and stop you from making the mistakes, I mean, you, 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 the, the interesting thing is to, is to look back and to see the mistakes that people have made over the years. I mean, most people make, make good decisions. For, for years and years, I used to say, well, my clients are people who have been good at managing the money on their own and they get to the point where they're getting closer to retirement and they say I can't afford we can't afford to make the same mistakes that we've made in the past we sh we should go hire a, a a professional so what are some of the mistakes that people make uh, <laughs> you name it um 
you know, I'm th- I'm th- I'm thinking of a of a of a guy who made a good living, and uh, he told his wife, um, but they weren't saving. So that's 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 the big mistake. So mistake number one is, is you have to save. Yeah, you got to yeah. you got to you know what, what was the line that I learned very early on is is um, the start of your of your downfall is when your outgo exceeds your income. Right, and um, and so the and, and so what they what he did was convince his wife that they should mortgage the home and invest in a penny stock. Well, of course the stock crashed and it was worth nothing and and uh, you know they were th- that, that was that yeah and they had no other savings right so, and now they don't have any home equity. Um, so you know one of the big mistakes that people make is they either pay too much for insurance or they have less insurance than they need. And in fact, um, most people do both. And so a a good um, property and casualty review is essential. The more money you make, the, the more important that becomes. And the closer you get to that day where you're not getting any more income and, and your money, I mean, I was, I was telling one of my grandkids last night that that your money can earn money, and you get to a point in your life where your money is earning more money than you are, and and that's called financial independence. Right. And they're like, huh? What? Well, first exposure to an idea. That's that's so, the way it is. So people should start young, plan in their future. Yeah. But how do you tell a young person? You, you know my guys here. Jose and Raphael, mm-hmm. they're, um, you know, they don't care. They're, they're not thinking 20 years ahead. They're thinking about tomorrow. They're thinking, oh, I want to go here and I want this car and I want these clothes. And so how do you convince them in a way that they understand that it's going to come and bite them down the road? That is a really good question. In my years of experience, you, you can't tell somebody something. Right. And, until they're ready. Right. And in fact, the more you tell them, the more they resist. Right. But how do you sit them down? How do you sit someone down and say, this is what you have to do? Otherwise, in 20 years time or 30, in their cases, 30, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I, don't, I know this is not your, your, your question, but the, but the reality is you don't. It's what, what I do is I accept them. I mean, what my, my first child, a boy. When he was six, he he wanted um, a off-road vehicle, and at six, uh, yeah, uh-huh. the um, he he'd seen, um, you know, back back in in the early eighties a, uh, a three wheeler. You right. know, we call them ATVs right, now. Right. They were called ATCs then. Right. And and he's and uh, and and he asked me if I could take him to the Honda dealer. To, to see it. I said, sure, sure. And, you know, at, maybe after the third or fourth time, it's like, okay, this is important to him. I'm going to spend time with him. We're going to go down. And so we look, we look at the, the one that was right size for him. And, and uh, he says, thanks, Dad. We, we're going home. He says, so how can I get one of those? And, and I said, well, yeah, we'll give you work to do at home and you can earn some money and you can and you can save. And I developed this elaborate um, savings program 
where 10% was giving back. You know, that was his tithing to the church. The next 10%, you know, right off the top to the to the church. And then the next is is what what I called is permanent investment. You pay yourself first. And he and I were reading, um, what was it, Richard Clayson? I can't remember. The Richest Man in Babylon was the name of the, the book. And so we read it out loud together. And and uh, so he we, we made a little cardboard bank and he had these four slots. After those first two, it was like short-term savings and 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 uh, and then spending spending money, and um, and so I was feeling quite smug that I was I had taught this six and eight-year-old. I mean, it was a process where he was earning, and, and you know uh, these these principles about personal finance, and. And I was just basically shoving it down his throat and clueless right. <laughs> that he wasn't ready for it. And, and he said to my wife, um, Mom, what's, what's permanent investment? Does Dad want me to save for my funeral? And I realized that I had made a mistake uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I backed off. So, so the uh, moral it, with that is don't shove it down young people's throat. Correct. Okay. You, you teach by example. Okay. What if they don't have an example? That's 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 a challenge. Yeah, that's that's a challenge. The good thing is that there's great literature about stuff, about about personal finance. But do you deal with the people that you deal with? Do these people are they wealthy? Are they there? I mean, I would imagine if you're going to go to a financial planner or an investor, you know, someone is going to invest your money. You have money to invest, right? Or you have money to to play with, but you know the reality is that today a lot of people don't have. That's an and, irony, isn't it? Yeah. The people who can afford a financial planner are the, are not the ones that need it the most. Right. Yeah. The more money you have, the more complicated it right, is. Right. But you got more money to, to to hire all the advisors that you need. How how do you start? And that's and that's a big deal. I've been a big proponent of pro bono. Um, work in the financial uh-huh. planning profession, and I, and and I I do my um, share of, of that. Um, there's there's a there's a lot of um, resources to look look for literature that that helps people. One of the one of the big um, sources of information is from uh, a guy named Tom Stanley. He wrote The Millionaire Next Book Do- Millionaire yeah, Next, Next Door. Door yeah. And and there's and there's lots of versions of his of his work. Um, he's he's gone now, but his daughter who helped him basically co- collate the the papers when she was starting at 9 years old, she got a PhD in industrial psychology and she is an expert, a well-known expert in in developing assessments. So the Millionaire Next Door, for those people that aren't familiar with it, was a study that Stanley and another marketing professor wanted to um, discover how do you reach wealthy people. And they did this multi-year study of who are the wealthy people, and they were shocked. They were very surprised to find out that they're not the athletes and the big um, company owners, yeah, there's there's those people who are visible that are right. wealthy, but most independently, financially independent people in this country are normal folks that are regular incomes, 
and they live in a in an average house and and drive an affordable car or a truck. I mean, they found out the millionaire next door was most likely to drive an F one fifty. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and and why is that? Because frugality matters. I listen. I I know a very a couple, very very wealthy couple in Palm Springs, and. Um, if if you meet them, you would not have any idea, like no idea. Yeah. If you yeah. went to the house, you would see. I've been to the house, but if you if you judge them by the cars that they drive or the way that they live, you would not think that they're as wealthy as they are. So I and, agree with you. And and those have been most of my clients over okay. the years. Now I'm dealing with their their kids and even their grandkids, and 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 teach helping them learn about money. So. Um, I would say the best thing you could do is buy a, a, an old copy. You can get one for free or get a ticket out of the library of The, of the Millionaire Next Door. Uh, so I think, you lie? No, I'm familiar with that book. Do you think that book is good? Oh, fabulous. Is it? Yeah. He's, you know, the, the principles are absolutely essential right. to becoming financially independent. The Millionaire Mind um, is, is one of the best books. The, uh, I always find, though, when you have the word millionaire to try and teach someone to be fiscally responsible and you use the word the millionaire next door, the millionaire mind, I made a million dollars and I can make. I just don't know how real that is, honestly. And yeah, I, you got to you got to start with a penny and a yeah. dollar. And, and but why and, is it always the millionaire next door, the millionaire mind? Is it being a millionaire? Is that the thing? Because being a millionaire these days, yeah, you can't you can't not. retire on a million dollars. Yeah, I mean it's not. You, a lot you need of money. you need more than that. Yeah, you know, hope, hopefully you you you've paid into Social Security and great if you have a pension and 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 then you have your personal savings, right. which may be uh, you know after tax money and 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 some Roths right. and, and 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 IRAs. So the thing I want to say about Tom Stanley's work is his daughter. Um, Sarah Stanley Falaw, F-A-L-L-A-W. Uh-huh. Um, she she and her dad were writing a book together, um, and and he he ended up um, dying during this period. But she published the book, and his name is on the book because there's some things he specifically wrote for the for the book, and um, and it's called the Next Millionaire Next Door. Yeah, get and get 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 over that. You got to start somewhere. Right. But it gives the factors of how people accumulate wealth. Okay. And some some people have the right mindset, and they've got the propensity. They don't need the book. They're going to do it anyway. Right. But for the rest of us, you got to study what the principles are, know the factors, and and look inside and see. Okay, well, I don't have that factor so much. I need to get some help. Okay. And and uh, and and Sarah, with her husband, um, have a company called Data Points, which is um, sells assessments. So you can you can take these assessments, find out your intuitive, um, natural propensity for wealth, and and then get um, some coaching. To, to modify your behavior. So saving for retirement is probably the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden you find yourself, if you, if you work for a company, there's two types of retirement in my mind. So you work for a company and at 60, 65, 
They say, well, thank you very much. Thank you for your service, but goodbye. We don't need you anymore. And then your paycheck stops. Then there's people who own a business, who are entrepreneurs, if you like, and they go on for as long as they can go. As long as their health is good, and as long as business is good, they keep moving along. So let's take the, uh, some, the person who works for a company. At what age should someone realistically start thinking, okay, I have to now get serious with my, with money and planning and my future? What is the age? Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 25? What is the age? As early as possible. I know. But well, is, let's, let's take it that this person has not been responsible. So what is, what, what is like, there's going to be a point of no return if you don't do it now? Is it 30? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can run, run the numbers and see an individual's um, situation. I mean, most people don't get serious until they're in their 30s or, 30s. or early 40s. But, but wow, you know, they, there's plenty of examples where, um, where somebody who, you know, I remember in, in the classes that I taught that you, you, you had a identical twins. And, and when they're 18, one of them starts saving and, 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 and then stops saving when she's 30. And, and, her, and her twin sister says, oh, you, you, you collected all that money. And so she starts saving the amount, same amount. One only saved for 12 years and the other one saves for 35 years. Guess who has the most money? You know, it's the one who started earlier and, and, and stopped. So the power of compounding is so dramatic. Wait a second. The one who started earlier is better off than the one who did it later but for longer? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So how does that work? Compounding. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You know, you you, you just chink chink away its 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 small time numbers and and I'm I'm sorry I don't have those numbers on no, 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 you know no. those yeah. those those ages, but yeah. it it was um, but you but you can do this little example. Um, if if I if I were going to hire you, and and I'd I'd say um, I'm going to have you work for me for 35 days, and you got two choices. I can I can either give you a thousand dollars a day, or you can choose that I give you a penny the first day, two cents the next day. I double it every day. Who's who's going to have which which is the better choice? You know, the $35,000, and again, I don't have the number on top of my head, but it's an astounding number that if you double that penny 35 times, it's, you know, it's mind-boggling number. Okay. Compounding, like Einstein said, eighth wonder of the world. So what do you say to someone that has a job, they're getting paid an hourly wage, and, you know, they earn X amount of money, rent, food, gas, and that's it. How does that person um, accumulate wealth? Well, they carpool or they, you know, eat, eat bulk food that costs less and, and somehow, somehow get some money saved. Okay. You know, and, and you, you got you to gotta, you gotta start early and you got to keep at it. And don't dip into those savings. Right. 
because that's the problem. I would, you know, I mean, listen, <laughs> I've been there. We've all been young, right? So you, you save and you save. Then all of a sudden you look and you think, wow, I've got $20,000 saved up, for instance. And you think, oh, I need a new computer. So you just grab it and, you, and then you're back to square one again. Well, and we've got so much going against us. You know, Madison Avenue, as we used to call it, basically the, the marketing, uh, you know, agenda, we're constantly being sold. And, and there's all this, um, there's just all this social uh, expectation that you got to, that you got to look good. I mean, one of the one of the factors of the millionaire millionaire next door, and maybe the major factor, is that people become financially independent because they don't care about what other people think. If you're driving a certain car or dressing a certain way, or you know going to vacations or eating at uh, at, at restaurants. Uh, that are expensive. Yeah, no, you know, listen, the, the, mon- the money's gonna, the money's gonna be gone. But yeah. if, but if you keep that money, yeah, then then it's yours. No, I find so many people, especially young people today, it's all about appearances, right? I gotta have the car, I've gotta have. I know someone that shall remain nameless that has a very nice car, better car than I have, but he's paying a thousand dollars a month for a car. But my car is going to get to the point his car gets just the same way as his car gets. But there isn't that, that chokehold of these car payments. And, and that, I, I get it. You know, it's, uh, the appearances can be very, and I, I think that's an American thing. I don't know, maybe it's a British thing too. But keeping up with the Joneses. What, how late is it? What's too late? So if someone comes to you and says, look, I haven't saved for retirement. Um, I really need some help. I need to do something. What is, you say, well, how old are you? They tell you. When is it too late? Well, I had a client come to me in that exact situation. He, and he, he says, um, you know, I've spent, I've spent too much. You know, I've had this expensive divorce. I'm, I'm broke. I'm, I'm 60. Fortunately, he had a, a, a decent income, and he he he, he says, what, what do I need to have? But what's broke? If he had a decent income, what do you mean he's broke? He he had he had no savings, you know. Oh, he okay. Had, he so he's broken as much as that he's got no nest egg, so to speak. Right. Okay. He had he had no retirement assets. I understand. Okay. And and so we 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 put together a plan. I'm just running the numbers. And I say, tell me how long you can work. And so his, his retirement plan, number one, stay, health, stay healthy, keep working. Yeah. Health, is, health is more important in some level than money. Diet, exercise, sleep, yeah, stress, no, stress reduction, I'm, keeping I'm your mind. Yeah. You know, that's part of my work. Yeah. Um, and so, and, you, you, and so as far as, just to digress for a second, so in part of your financial planning, quote unquote, it involves your well-being, your health. Yeah, my clients yeah. are whole beings. I mean, wh- wh- what what was it that about financial planning that captured me? It was this like this holistic thing. Everything's integrated. Okay. And the and and the more that I've gotten into it, the 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 the, the more dramatic it, it it comes. That everything has its internal 
structure and it's external and together it's a it's an integral whole okay so um you know people people who are just focused on the money they're going to kill themselves out of stress right and and, and they're going to be isolated right and you know you have to, you have to have a social network right. <laughs> to be to be healthy and and and, and happy right so I, i'm dealing with the with with the whole being okay um for you know so you're a therapist financial planner yeah i was one health. of the i was one of the people who was there at the beginning of the financial yeah. therapy association okay i was there in the 90s with the nas rudin group which in the early 2000 front page article in the wall street journal called our group the most influential group of financial planners which was kind of funny i mean what we were doing was just exploring what is the more than money uh-huh. you know what what are the what are these non-quantitative aspects and and we were we were having fun and and we we were not an organized group we just we just had a listserv on email and and then we got together once a year because somebody would volunteer to to um to organize and the wall street journal pick that up front page of the wow. wall street journal okay yeah so let's go back to Mr. Sixty-year-old, good job, no retirement. What did you tell him? Yeah. So you know, basically, what, you know, what what can you do? And and it was a combination of of him telling me what I what he what he was willing to do, and my telling him what that would produce. And he 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 cut his expenses um, way way down. Mm-hmm. But he, but you know, I have to. Help clients guard against deprivation because that's that's a, a recipe for disaster. Because if you're if if you're not spending any money, you're you're, you're likely to to go berserk with some crazy right. e- expense that's going to put you you know in the in in the poorhouse. And but you know in ten years he was still healthy and he had enough money that he retired at seventy. Yeah. Yeah. Did he work for himself or for someone else? No, he worked for somebody else. Yeah, so he was getting a regular paycheck yeah. coming in. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes people make? What are, What is it? Starbucks every day, too high a car payment, too much going out. What What are some of the common mistakes that people make? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's like spending money without thinking that it's impact. Um, and 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 I'll just say this about that that um, you know some some people like you know they've got a disposition where they're going to track their money and pay close attention and paying attention is an essential part that's one of the factors of the of the of the millionaire next door is 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 paying attention and having some focus those are two different things but yeah yeah you have to make some kind of connection with little money that you spend and what what impact it's going to have so you know if you yeah if you're doing if you're doing a Starbucks every day and it's a high end thing then um, it it, it, adds it really, up, right? really four dollars a day really yeah, yeah. It really adds up yeah. so so you have to be aware of what your end end result is and and so ha- have have a goal, keep yourself accountable, um, and and some people need more of a a, a, co- a coach and a and a kick in the butt 
than than others. Um, spending, you know, buying uh, financial products that have high fees, um, you, you know, is 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 gonna uh, put put you under, um, or at least have your money grow better. I mean, it's better it's it's better to to invest in expensive products that than than not invest at all. Right. But yeah, you, so the mistake mistake number one is not not starting. So the best time to invest is is when you have the money. Okay. You know you got you got to start now, and you got to be 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 careful. So let's talk to one of my guys here. So they got to save. What does that mean? They got to take a hundred dollars from their paycheck and put it into a savings account, or take that hundred dollars go into the stock market. Like, what's what's the the best well, way. Well, I liked what you said, take it out of your paycheck. Yeah. So, you know, whether there's an opportunity to invest in a 401k or some kind of retirement plan at, at, at work, or whether you you just have it automatically withdraw something that you initiate, um, then, then, you know, that's the first thing. But then, the, but then to answer your question, um, you, you, you have to have your emergency fund. So, you know, whatever that amount is, that... What know, should it be? Two months? Let's say your monthly expenses are 3000 a month, for instance. Do you need three, six, nine, twelve? Well, the rule of thumb is three to six months living yeah. expenses. So okay. that's not your salary before taxes. Right. That's, that's your, your yeah. living expense. If there's, if there's two incomes, then maybe it doesn't need to be enough. If you're, if you're working for um, an organization that's really stable and you know the income's going to be there then it then it's different um you know some some uh, business owners will have two years living expenses uh plus their cash reserves that the business needs because right. you never know what's going to happen right but three to six months is is the is is the ideal but if you're not there you know, you know anything is is better, is better than, nothing. than nothing right yeah so I come to you. Do you help me navigate the stock market? Yes. And how do you do that? Are you you personally keep up with the uh, the comings of goings of Wall Street? Yeah. Companies that are up and down. Yeah. I don't pay attention to any particular companies. Right. What we find is that um, that to follow major asset classes and and different indices. Uh, I've subscribed to a database that has um, almost 200,000 different indices. So um, it, it's, it's, it's important to be very broad. You know, if somebody wants to start, they can invest in the Vanguard VT, which is the, the V stands for Vanguard and the T stands for total. So. You, you, you invest in that and you you've got um, all, all the the major companies and a lot of little ones all over the world you know maybe 13 to 15,000 different securities and 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 the market's gonna gonna take you there but um, investing into the stock market you can just as quickly lose in the stock market right the stock market goes up about twice as much as it goes down yeah. on an annual basis. Um, about um, one 
the, the stock market goes up three, three quarters of the time. So the mistake that people make is that they invest and, and then they lose confidence and they stop investing. So stay calm. You hear all the time. I follow different podcasts and different people, and the, the general census of opinion is if there is a dip, which we get, you know, stay calm because it's in all probability is going to go back up. Whereas people panic, right? Right. And then, oh so, my gosh, everything, I'm losing and I get everything out. <laughs> so, so the best time to buy something is when it's on sale. Yeah. If you need it, you know you're going to need it. Right. When it goes on sale, you, you, you buy it. So when so stocks a, when stocks are on sale, that's when the opportunity so is. So if the if if you read, you know, the like sometimes you turn on the television in the morning as I do and I watch the news programs and you know the headline is the the stock market dropped, you know, whatever it drops. That's the time you should be going in there and buying. Well, the, yeah, the answer to that is yes, but you never know what the ups and downs are. So the most important thing people can do with the stock market is get in it and stay in it, keep in it, keep it, keep investing, and and ignore the ups and downs. The the you know one of those books that I that I read back in the 70s was a book called A Random Walk on Wall Street, and I forget how many editions it it had, like 15 or something. Uh, Burton, Malkiel, um, and and uh, and it's, you know, the stock market's gonna go up and down and just ignore that. I mean, almost everything you hear about personal finance is noise. It's either, it's either self-promotional <laughs> and, and should be, you know, you should run from that kind of stuff or it's, or, or it's just completely no, noise. Right. You know, be focused on your goals and objectives and, 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 take, and take small, steps and and be involved in all the aspects of, of your personal finance I mean the the eight areas of personal finance that the CFP board uh, identifies is some general principles which is, includes economics and and you know credit and debt and those kinds of things risk management and insurance in investment planning tax planning retirement savings and income planning estate planning, you know, the, the, the one area that people avoid the most is getting their estate planning done. If you own a house, ha have a trust. And, you know, if you don't own a house, you at least need a will and your durable powers of attorney. Who's going to make the decisions right. if you can't make your health decisions right. for you? Um, there's, there's professional conduct. And the, and the latest area that the CFP board has finally incorporated is psychology. Psychology of money is huge. So let's talk about the book that you wrote, The Ultimate Guide to Personal Finance for Entrepreneurs. So, yeah, I think it's mistitled. Um, is it? You know, it was a basic personal well, finance Is that the title, book. though? Yeah, that's yeah. the, that's, that's well, who the title. Who came up with the title? Not you? No, it was Entrepreneur Press, okay. Entrepreneur Magazine. Yeah. And the way that this happened is, is I had a student when I taught in the in the UC Davis CFP program. I was the program director responsible for the curriculum. And, and one of the students was a guy leaving 
um, a, a major tech company locally, and he had been doing some technical writing, and and he had written um, a, a number of, of, of books, many of them on personal finance subjects. And he came to me, he says, you know, Jeff, I, I have an idea for a book. And so Peter Sander invited me into this to this project and basically mentored me on on on, on how to write and um, and yeah it covers I mean it's out of, it's out of date it's out of print um, you know you can probably get one for free at a used bookstore you know, just pay for shipping and you have um, no um, plans or aspirations to to revise it and to relaunch it well no it's owned it's owned by them you know the oh, title okay. is is owned by them um, and um, you know, I do I do some writing. Yeah. You know, I, I write I write to my clients every, every quarter. That is kind of a an, an overview of what's happening in the economy and and, and the markets. I, I love watching the economy. I love watching the markets. To me, they're natural systems, mm-hmm. and people get scared and they and they panic. You use that word, and the reality is that's just 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 the way. Nature works. There's an ebb and flow, and and so if you appreciate the way the system works and calibrates itself, then that then you're you're gonna you're gonna do well. One of the, one of the most one of the best experiences I ever had was my 11 year old son uh, invited me to to go on a canoe trip with the Boy Scouts, and we. We we took some courses in, in canoeing, and and we 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 canoed down the Lower Feather River, and and what I saw was that the river was just like being in the stock market. We could we could choose where we wanted to be in the current. We could we could we could go with the fast current, and if we did, there might be times when we we make a wrong move. And we're going to be swamped. Right. Yeah, we're going to we're going to be right. wet, and maybe we're going to lose our, our, our you know, our, our our dry sleeping bag or whatever. Capsize. Yeah, and and. Um, but if you stay in the slower current. Yeah, if you stay in a slower current, then if it, if it's 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 safer, and the and the stock market, you can do the same. You right. can you you basically choose what your objectives are. Right. How how much risk you you can handle psychologically. And, and and in terms of your your capacity for risk, basically how much money you have, you know, there's a I use a five factor risk tolerance um, process that but basically you decide how much money you need to make, and 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 then you're there, and and you map out a plan and you and you stick with it. And I think one of the most important things that I do with my clients is is give them, encourage them. When there's bad news, and then when there's too much good news, I say this too will pass, and and have them not to be too excited and right. and do some things that are wild and crazy. So as we come to a close here, what's your who is your client? Who is your average client? Well, it's traditionally it's been somebody who's getting ready to retire, um, but I'm dealing with their kids and their and their grandkids, and I have. Um, some processes to help people with these millionaire next door stuff, and I and, and I coach on a on a on a group 
uh, basis. You do? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basically still working because it's, it's rewarding. Yeah. Um, what's a typical day in a financial planner's life? You get up in the morning. Are you, clue, are you glued to CNBC and watching? I try to do what I tell my clients uh, to do, and, and, and that is tune out the noise. So I, I have some, some major indices that, that, that I watch. I, um, I like to, so I'm, I'm looking, I am looking at the, at the market on a, on a daily basis. But, I'm, but you know, just because the market's up, up or down doesn't really mean anything for the, for the day, right, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the for the long term trends, and and I and I keep people focused on on their goals and what they're trying. to Do you to study achieve. companies like when no 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 that's you know I I I invest my clients' money in institutional mutual funds that are very broad. Um, we. Um, it's basically evidence-based financial planning in in all areas. Um, you know, I'm 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 academically grounded basically, and there's Nobel prizes won regularly in, in all areas of economics and personal finance, and 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 you succeed by taking the evidence of what has worked. What are the factors that create and preserve wealth, and and you and you follow those. And how does I come to you? How what am I paying for this service? So there's three ways that that people can can pay us at my company. Right. We we do hourly work. So so I know, come it, in and say I need you for four hours, five hours, whatever. Yeah, it's it's common that that somebody has has done their research, has some questions, they'll come in. And they pay for an hour. Oh, okay. Um, and and we do project work. I mean, if you're going to need four or five hours, I'm more focused on what it is you want to achieve. So and the it, person that's coming into you for an hour, what are yeah. they coming for? They're basically coming in for a calibration. Yeah. You know, they're, they're they've they've done their own homework, and some of these people already know the answers, and I'm just say that's right, that's right. Oh, you may not have thought about this. Right, right. Oh, it's a that's a good idea. So they're coming um, for reassurance on whatever research they've done. Yeah. That they've done it correctly. Yeah. Okay. Or or, or second opinion. Maybe yeah, they've yeah. given a proposal or they're they're working with a company and they're not sure that company's okay. really focused on So you on come their up needs. with an hourly fee for that. Yeah. Okay. Then there's the project. Yeah. So based. project is is typically we just they they describe what they want to accomplish in the engagement. And I'll look at the data involved that I need to analyze and come up with the, the solutions. And, and typically that's a fixed fee. I'll give, I'll give them a quote and say, you know, it's this much. They give me half of it up front and half of when it's, when it's right. ended. And the other one, um, most of my income comes on an annual retainer. So we're, you know, we've, we've, done, we've done some hourly or, or some project maybe at the front, and, and they decide that they want to have us on, a, on an ongoing basis. And we, we quote an annual fee. And, and, it's and then paid. you're available to it, them. Yeah. And, and not only that, but I'm watching 
their their situation and the ex, you know the whole market and economy and you know tax laws change and right. and uh, we 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 give the you know we we proactively are so you have to stay current with all tax laws and all that kind of stuff or do yeah, you have... I have to know everything about everything yeah <laughs> okay yeah when you, when you say it like that it's like you know I I, I feel burdened because, because you know, I'm just one person. I've just right. got one one view. I've got limited um, uh, abilities, but I'm I'm using a lot of resources, and um, and so it's about harnessing that. And and I work, I, you know, some some people, some financial planners that do what I do say they give tax advice. I don't say that because although I have software that looks at the tax implications of all my recommendations, um, I want to be working with my client's tax advisor. And how many clients do you work with at a time? Is it 10, 20, 100, 200? Um, like, do you have, are you? Yeah, I mean, you... the hourly and the project stuff is, is, is different. You know, that can come and go. But on, on an ongoing basis, it's, it's just a few dozen. Yeah, okay. And where can people find you? So let's say someone's listening to this and this is my guy. Where do they find you? JeffreyLambert.com. JeffreyLambert.com. And your offices are in Rancho Cordova? Yeah, it's a Sacramento address, but it's in Rancho Cordova. Right. And, and um, my, my office where I get my mail and, and meet with a lot of people is in Folsom. But um, I've actually, about half my revenue comes from um, most of my revenue comes from clients out of the area, um, you know, half of it out of state. Oh, okay. Because I've had clients who who moved. Who, who've moved. Yeah. So um, I uh, do I do a I do a lot of virtual work. And how long have you been doing this? Um, well, just just since nine o'clock this morning, because yeah. it's the markets changed, right. the environments changed. So. So yeah, d did I start when I was in in real estate, which started part time in in '77? Did it start when I got it, uh, securities licensed in January of '81? Did but it in start total, when what it, your experience gap is is broad, right? You've been doing this a long time. Yeah. In the world of financial. Yeah, and I've got a and 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 I've got a very broad perspective. You know, I'm a founder of the of the Financial Planning Association nationally. And and I spent 21 years in charge of the curriculum at, at the UC Davis Personal Financial Planning Certificate. So, and then finally, let's talk about some awards that you've won because I read here that you've won awards. So tell us a couple of the, just give yourself a plug <laughs> on two of the, the awards that you're most proud of that you've gotten. Well, I suppose my, my my proudest moment was when when I uh, when I got the the service award for for having made made the biggest contribution for the year in our in our local financial planners group. Right. Um, but I was recognized uh, a couple of times by a Fortune publication. Uh -huh. um, it was called Financial Planning Magazine. Yeah. Excuse me, Mutual Funds Magazine, yeah. which has been merged in others. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was I was named as as uh, in this list of 100 great financial planners. Not okay. necessarily the greatest, but 
in know. a region or in, in nationally in, nationally yeah, yeah. Well, that's nothing to sneeze at yeah 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 it was a, it was a nice compliment but you know any of those things it's it's like you know how do they really know you know the people the people that know are, are are my clients right yeah and 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 it, I mean the thing that means the most to me is is when a, a, a client says something like I could never have gotten through this without you. Yeah. That's good. And that's a great place to end. Jeffrey Lambert, financial planner, wealth advisor. You can find him at jeffreylambert.com. So, Jeffrey, we, we always finish the show here with a fun series of questions. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to spring them on you, if that's okay. <laughs> These will be quick-fire questions. So what is one word that best describes you? Caring. Caring? If you could be one person for the day besides yourself, who would it be and why? I, I suppose it would uh, w would be a, an, an entertainer. You yeah. know, I, I play the saxophone and, and played in, in, in uh, big bands. I, I love so who that. would it be? I, 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 love, I love that. So um, anyone, or you were you just just a general yeah, sax player in a band? Yeah, I can't yeah. I can't think of a no of, of a of an. Additional... But if you could be someone, you'd be an entertainer. Sure. Yeah. What is your biggest pet peeve? Well, it's it's the human condition, and and noticing people that are self deceptive, like we all are. And they don't know it, that they think that they know something, that they think that they're better than somebody. And and they're not, because because we're all the same. We're, we're, yeah, we're yeah. all we're, we're we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Do you have any hidden talents? I don't know. You know, maybe maybe it's because I worship. I direct the music in our worship service at church. And what project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? Well, I'm I'm reading ten books right now from the Arbinger Institute. Ten? Yeah. At the same time? Well, I'm zipping through them and I'm going back and studying yeah. because they're all all, all okay. connected. Um, Arbinger was started by C. Terry Warner, who was a doctor of philosophy out of Yale, and you know it's a it's about human self deception, and and uh, you know I I feel like I'm being transformed. Um, it's a it's a, it's an interesting process. So you're constantly thinking about that. Yeah. And finally, normally I ask people, politicians, what's their favorite restaurant in Rancho Cordova? But for you, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you, what is your tip of the day today in the fi in financial planning? Oh, it's got to be about financial planning? Well, if you just be, want a tip, yeah, give me I a would tip. say try bison. You know, the meat, the buffalo. Yeah. I have a son who just harvested a buffalo in Wyoming. And we had a buffalo feast at home. It's, I was surprised at how tasty, how mild, yeah. and how healthy. Uh, so try bison. Yeah, try bison. Okay, and then we'll end right there. <laughs> so we've been talking with Jeffrey Lambert from the Lambert Financial Wealth Group here in Rancho Cordova. Jeffrey, thank you for being on the Rancho Cordova podcast. Thank you, Charles. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.